You're listening to Contesting Wrestling, a podcast where we are on a quest to understand why people watch wrestling. When I say we, I mean me. Your journey is your own, and I'm not here to tell you what to do with that. Okay, that's there's there are other podcasts for that. This is this is here for me to cathartically suffer through the process of learning about America's second or third greatest original art form. Kind of depends on where you want to put it. It goes jazz, and then either wrestling or stand-up comedy. Depends well, on how hey, you want to comic it. books. Right, comic books. Okay, yeah. We should make jazz wrestling, where jazz plays while you, while you wrestle. I think I okay. I've been kind of pitching that for a while, actually. So there was that one Oscar episodes, match. I think we that would be great. Yeah, the yeah, one kind of match was that was that was kind of jazzy. It was kind of jazzy. What the dude was playing. But the, anyway, so the point. My name is Evan Burke. By the way, you can find me on the internet, or at least on Twitter at Evan Burke, etc. I am somebody who doesn't like wrestling traditionally, right? Because it seems it's if you don't know anything about it, it seems dumb. But I have to admit, after many episodes of being taken on a guided tour through the high and low lights of the art form, I'm at least willing to say it is more interesting than I gave it credit for. And especially when you delve into the history of people who you really might not know about. Like, I had never heard of today's subject before, and I was, I, I was so impressed with him and also so blown away by the tragedy of the mishandling of his career, as far as I could tell, by fucking Booker's... Well, we'll get to it. But we're going to move on to our my co-hosts and our guests today, all of whom are people with a spectacular uh, ocean of knowledge about wrestling through which I will try to swim in order to attain the sunken treasure of enjoying wrestling. Evan, Evan, what did we tell you about the ocean? It, this is a metaphorical ocean. You can oh, go okay, in metaphorical okay. oceans. Yeah. So, Evan, that, that was that was very poetic and super nice. You know, my name, uh, as usual, is Doc Diamond Fire. Um, been involved in wrestling for about a dozen years now. I've, I've done a number of positions in front of and behind the scenes. And uh, right now I'm doing this. I'm looking forward to talking to all of my friends about our subject today, which we are keeping a... Uh, we're keeping a mystery until we reveal it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> professor, tell us, uh, tell us uh, briefly about yourself. Well, I am Dr. Ben Abelson, professor of philosophy at Mercy College and uh, wrestle nautical adventurer. To yeah, continue Evan's metaphor. And our other co-host. Oh, oh, that's this is where I talk. Okay, I'm I'm sorry. I was thinking about butts. Anyway, uh, I am as always Katie Vella, the professional referee. I am on Twitter at, at @refkatie. I have been in wrestling since 2014. I have been refing since late 2017, coming up on three years now. Uh, I am also a Twitch streamer. I stream mostly Pokemon. You can follow me there at Over Here Counting. And today we have. A very special guest. It is my protege in XSW, uh, their most senior and tenured referee. It is Devin T. Simmons. Devin, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Devin. <laughs> As Katie said, I am the senior referee at XSW. Extremely serious extremely wrestling. Serious wrestling. For those yes. Who don't know. yes, extremely. It's pretty rad, and I'm psyched to be here. I'm a fan of the show, and I'm excited. Uh, so we're going to talk about Ron Simmons today no relation 
Okay. Yeah. Wait, it's not your <laughs> own. So I do have an older brother named Bronson. So. Oh, wow. man. Uh, so, so you hear we, that, everyone? Devin is Ron Simmons' younger brother. So we, we just have yeah. a bunch of yeah. we just have a bunch of hidden camera footage of you jumping your brother, and then uh, you know hilarity <laughs> ensuing after that. Yeah, exactly. Those are the matches. It's me and my older brother. To be clear, your older brother did also wrestle in the WWE for a period in the '90s under the name Farouk, but was yeah. a different guy than the guy yeah. we are talking about. <laughs> he was a job Just, guy. Yeah, 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 he's a job guy. <laughs> He was Farouk Bisad. There yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 uh, oh all right. That's now good. that the real listeners oh. are left after the after the fake after the fake friends bounced after that joke, let's. Uh, oh, <laughs> so for those before, for those three of you still listening, <laughs> before we delve uh, into today's subject, though, Devin, I want to ask you some broad questions that we ask of any guest that okay. comes on this show. So the, the, the whole the whole core of this, the reason, the thing that I am trying to figure out over the mm -hmm. course of contesting wrestling, given all things in the world, all ways that one could theoretically spend one's time from napping to all the television shows to learning a foreign language to math to and so on in that fashion, why wrestling? Why is wrestling the, a thing people should spend their time with? Uh, well, I can't speak for other people i can only speak for myself that's great yeah and for me it's i just well i've been a wrestling fan for longer than i can remember like i i have an early memory of a razor ramon promo on an episode of raw that was me going oh razor ramon is talking which means i knew who he was so like i had been watching raw um <laughs> So, the, real, the real Razor Ramon. Yeah, real Razor Ramon. We'll get to oh. that. We'll get to that later. Oh. Go ahead, Devin. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so the reason I really enjoy wrestling isn't it's the stories, and it's not just like storylines. Like, oh, he stole my girlfriend, so I'm going to have a match with him where we hit each other with chairs. Mm. But it's like each match is a self-contained story and the really great matches tell really great stories physically sure. and of course there's all the athleticism and all that kind of stuff that i really enjoy and sometimes i do just like watching big dudes beat the hell out of each other <laughs> it's very satisfying in like a primal way Yes, and uh, one, of, one of our matches that we're talking about today especially is just yeah, a great yeah. example of people just beating on each other and it being a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Do you think of, you know, obviously, you know, you grow up watching more traditional, quote-unquote, wrestling. Um, mm -hmm. but uh, And then I, you know, I would definitely say that XSW falls under the umbrella of wrestling. Like, we we were on record on this podcast and saying it's totally wrestling. But it is a different Not as the State approach. Athletic Commission is concerned. Though. No. Right, yeah. Yeah. You, you the hear State that, Athletic State Athletic Commission? Athletic it Commission. is a sketch comedy show. It's not yes. wrestling. Don't come yeah. look at it. <laughs> <laughs> it it doesn't it doesn't tick all the boxes that the stay athletic commission needs you to tick for it to be wrestling, but that it more speaks to uh, the fact that the stay athletic commission isn't really concerned with wrestling. But that's another story entirely. What is different to you, and what is maybe the same to you about like if you were wrestling, if you were refing quote unquote more traditional wrestling? Well, I'm a pretend referee. I will say that for real. Like, I pretend to ref a pretend 
sport. Um, and that's why um, I'm here. We're going to make you a real referee, Devin. So, yeah. Um, so, so you're you're going in. You're counting. You're counting to five. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Well, I mean, whatever they need me to do. <laughs> I mean, what's what's a what's right. a what's a real referee? You know, I mean, that's that's why when I get into it with people, if if I have to ever about something like XSW, it's like as XSW wrestling. But what's right. really different about it? You know, because someone's like, it's not real wrestling. Yeah. Like, what, what, what's real wrestling? You want real wrestling? You go to, you know, you go to Iowa State and you watch twelve-year-olds roll around in singlets until one of them wins, and then by the time they're adults, mm-hmm. they stop doing it because there's no money in it. In a sense, it is another level of artifice, which is yeah. just an extension of wrestling already. Yeah, exactly. Right? The cool thing about it is, like, to me, the only real difference between what we do at XSW and what they do on TV for AEW and WWE is legitimately we're just not actually doing moves to each other. <laughs> like that's, that's really it for the most the part. same structures. Yeah. Most, I mean, we do have real trained professional wrestlers on the show and they have real professional wrestling matches. Whereas we pretend to hit each other with pile drivers and shit. And, and that's what, I mean, I, I have to say as you know, coming <laughs> to it from an outsider perspective, um, if listeners, if you have not checked out XSW, I absolutely recommend you do so because the the blend of like real wrestlers and people who are purely just from the comedy universe and throwing them in there together to see what ha- I think is absolutely genius. Like I, I I just think that that works so well. He was gonna come to the next show we had, and then yeah, the world went to shit. Yeah. Um, I can swear a lot, right? You guys don't have a totally, oh, yeah. absolutely, yeah, yeah. Go nuts, go nuts. <laughs> fully, uh, fully at liberty. Yeah. Well, oh, we yeah, do yeah. have, we do, do have do a you. limit, but we tend not to tell yeah. guests that. We just send people to their house if they go past it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mur- I murdered a guy on one of the double <laughs> Patreon episodes that you got to pay twenty bucks for, and like, yeah, it's been fine. So don't worry. <laughs> oh, okay. He he was Marty Janetti's accomplice. <laughs> I made a guy disappear. Don't tell Captain Romance this, but that's actually what happened to Dungeon Master. Uh. Evan killed him. Oh no! God, yeah, I, that's I don't I didn't know his name. That's why I don't understand this reference. I just you know, I'm just I'm just a killing machine. I was just trained by the government to be a killing machine. So, as we all knew, so I'm not going to explain. I was going to say that makes a whole lot of sense based yeah. on stuff I've heard about you and listening to you on this show. I'm I'm glad that really comes out in this show. I'm glad that people have been able to take that away. That you're I'm a dangerous man. Yeah, that I'm more that I'm more machine than man in my heart at this point, and uh, born born to kill. Anyway, speaking of born to kill with laughs. Oh. Uh no, I I, I thought I thought you transition. were segueing to Vader from there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Speaking of born to kill with largeness <laughs> with with a pure what what a yeah. slab of a man vader is but no all right so the first match we well, you talk you introduce it and then and then we'll get into it okay so uh it's ron simmons versus vader uh for the wcw world title uh, from a house show on august 2nd 1992 it eventually aired um, but it was originally just a house show. And this is the match where Ron Simmons defeated Vader to become the first ever black world champion in wrestling history. 
So, yeah, so a very important match uh, in the history of wrestling for sure. The, the, the match itself, um, you know, the, these two guys come to the ring. Vader looks like one of the Rocky Mountains that he hails from. This is peak Vader right here. If you watch Vader's later WWF run, and we do see a peak of it, uh, you see that Vader had uh, diminished a little bit by then. But here he was still peak Vader. He looked like, uh, you know, he looked like he would rip your head off, like, for and fun. And apparently he kind of would. Like, to. those clotheslines um, and- that look really legit, they were <laughs> really Ugh. legit. But Ron Simmons, the challenger, he looked up for He looked like his head was firmly not going to get ripped off that night. And indeed it did not. Uh, the only thing that was taken off was the title from Vader. So, Evan, wh- wh- what did you think of this straight up before we get really into it? I w- it was frustrating that I felt that this match, the first match, and as far as I could tell, maybe the earliest mm-hmm. of the matches we watched, was far and away the one where I felt like Ron Simmons was getting to wrestle like he wants to wrestle. I did like there was there was a there was a level of like sort of uh, freedom and abandon to this match. They had great chemistry. And this felt like a we were talking about how there's sort of like a big guy style that like an archetypical big guy style and this I felt like was one of the most entertaining like just like classic big guy versus slightly different kind of classic big guy matches we've seen. Yeah, this match is one of my, yeah, it's two big dudes running into each other. And it wasn't going to be a technical, like, display. But there's some really cool stuff, because it's not just them hitting each other. Occasionally, there's some actual wrestling that happens. I mean, oh, yeah. Ron Simmons suplexes Vader at a certain point, and you're like, Vader doesn't get suplexed. Like, yeah. that just doesn't happen. I mean, as a match itself, it's, it's fine. It's entertaining. It's not an all-time classic, but it is historically significant because Ron Simmons is the first black world champion. I throw that in quotes because there are black men that have held world championships in the past that just aren't recognized. Oh, we should Bobo definitely talk Brazil about that. was the champion, right. and, you know, but it wasn't recognized. It was one of those, if, if, we, if he doesn't win, they will kill us. <laughs> that was the NWA title? Right. With Bobo uh, I believe, yeah, I believe it was the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, but it was one of those, they will rip us to shreds if he doesn't win. So we'll just give it to him and then. Where were they? Like when that happened? I don't really remember. I know it's just one of those weird, like, stories of Phantom Champions. Ric Flair would do that overseas sometimes uh, when he was scheduled to defend the NWA title and he thought that the audience yeah. would literally kill him if he won. He would he would just drop the belt and win it back a few days later, or he wouldn't, and he'd just go home with the belt because nobody was ever going to see these matches. Like That's why, like officially speaking, he's like a 16-time world champion, but it's closer to 22 or 23 or 25. It really depends. Yeah. Um, and he's what not the only one that did stuff. 1992. Um, to your point earlier, Evan about you know him wrestling a more exciting kind of with more a style with more abandon here you know by the time we get to 1997 96 and 97 in the WWF he's already kind of past his prime athletically like you got to realize that Ron Simmons was one of the greatest defensive linemen in the history of college football playing for oh. Florida State University he also oh, wow. had a pro career for several years before he became a wrestler. So he was already pretty well into like his 30s, I think, when he started wrestling. Mm -hmm. At least 20s. 
yeah, he didn't he didn't have a long path to the top in wrestling. You know, he was a uh, you know, he was trained, he was in a he was in a tag team mm-hmm. called Doom, which was cool. And then um but pretty quickly after that, he was he was uh he was put in the world title picture uh because he already had so much notoriety. Um so a lot of his career physically speaking is a bit of a decline. Um, I don't want to talk. Uh, I don't want to talk ill of uh, the late, uh, the late career of Ron Simmons, and you know, and, and the premium episode. We'll get into kind of his latter day blossoming as another tag team wrestler. Um, but yeah, his WWF run, he was there to play a character, and his movement in ring was kind of limited. I think, despite the fact that the as uh, the Farouk years seems like he was kind of being mishandled, and he was, he could have been a bigger star than they wanted him to be. I think he took what they gave oh, yeah. him and went further oh, yeah, yeah. than. And they any, thought he any, was any issues go I had it. with those Farouk you know? era matches, um, I, 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 were, I felt were yeah. Vince's fault. Yes, yes, and we will certainly get to that. I don't want to, I don't want to skim over this. The reaction of the crowd uh, at the end of the Vader match is phenomenal. You see one kid almost jump yeah. over the guardrail several times. He's so excited. And to your point about this match being like where he's wrestling the hardest, so to speak. Remember that he knew he was getting the title, yeah. and he knew like how he knew how historical this moment was, and he knew if he didn't do literally the best he ever could, that a black man may not ever get that opportunity again because they'd be like, "Well, we gave it to," and this is terrible and wrong, but they could have been like, "Well, we gave we gave Ron Simmons the chance, and he sucked, and no one liked him, so yeah. why try again?" Uh, which is a fucked up thing to have to say that that mentality would even exist, but it's it's entirely possible that he that was his thought process going into the match. I I do wonder if it was. I feel like I mentioned this on this podcast once before. I definitely said it in conversation. I saw an interview with uh, with Aquafina about um, crazy rich Asians, and they asked her like, "Oh, are you, you hope the movies succeed so that they can they can make more like Asian fronted movies?" And she said, "Well, if the movie fails, they should also." make more Asian-fronted movies. White people make movies that fail all the time, and they just keep making movies with white people. And like to, Katie, to your point, that was the attitude, especially amongst, uh, especially amongst like Southern promoters. It was like, well, we'll give the black guy Speaking a Speaking of Southern promoters, Bill Watts should be given and, uh, credit here for being the guy to put yeah. the title on Ron Simmons. And he was known for promoting black wrestlers right. in Mid-South mm-hmm. Wrestling. He, you know, Junkyard Dog was the top star under him. So was Coco Beware when, you know, the rest of the territories didn't have anything like that. Yeah, Bill Watts is an interesting figure, you know, because uh, like we can definitely give him credit for booking black wrestlers to the top whenever he was booking. Um, I don't want to give him too much credit in terms of like, I don't know, social justice or whatever, because his decisions were purely financial. He was like, man, the other promoters are stupid not booking black guys on top. Black guys will draw the most money from the black people. And that was all he was thinking was, you know, the only color I see is green, brother. It's an attitude that still persists today, and it's a real problem. That being said, you know, when the only chances given to you are dubious chances, you still got to take them. And Ron Simmons took it, and he ran with it. This is sort of unrelated, but um, I'm watching uh, this Netflix documentary that just premiered called um, uh, High Score, which is about, like, the history of video games in the 70s and 80s. It's great. Oh, I got to watch it. It's great, that. but I did not realize that the, genesis, the, the sort of origin of Pac-Man came from people sitting down and being like, well, you know, we've got all these games with shooting, and the guys like that. How do we make a game with that women will like? Well, what about a game based around eating? Uh, 
and <laughs> and it's all supposed to be cookies. Pac-Man's eating cookies. Oh, That's, see, that, I thought they that, were going for the junkie market. I need these pills, man. <laughs> I get these fucking ghosts, man. They're coming. And bro. then the point is so that they're keeping up all. It's a key. You got to keep from getting scurvy. Right. That's the... Exactly. That's fantastic. Um, sorry. So, so Devin, Ben, what were you how... asking? I was going to ask Devin how he felt about the whole presentation here. I noticed like they don't mention that he's the first black champion or anything like that. No. Which, which I had kind of mixed feelings about, but. I mean, I get why you wouldn't do it, but I do. Okay. So this is a thing I'm going to say for your listeners because they can't tell by listening to me. I'm black. It, that's not exactly the way the way we introduce a guest. It's like this is Devin. He's black. Yeah, like that which doesn't is come why, off too well, like, you know. And you it know, was your idea to talk about Rod yeah. Simmons, not ours. Yes, it was. We've been kicking it around regardless, but it worked sure. out. Yeah. Doing a wrestling show, you got to talk about Rod Simmons at some point. But like me saying, well, what's something that I have an insight on that you guys wouldn't have? And it's like, oh yeah, race stuff. And you already did the new day, so right. and truth. Yeah. And truth, yeah, which those episodes can will kind of inform some of this stuff too. Um, but yeah, I know as a kid, this was I was not watching WCW. I had no idea any of this stuff happened. But when I was a teenager and I went back and discovered a lot of stuff, this match always had the this is Ron Simmons, the first Black World Champion. So I didn't have the historical context for anything. But if I had known at the time or had seen it at the time and been not four years old, I would have definitely noticed that they didn't mention that he was the first black world champion or that this was like he has an opportunity to be the first black world champion. But I also would have known that he was the first black world champion. It would have been a big fucking deal. So maybe they didn't feel like they needed to. They're like, people know. So the people that care know and will care. And the people that don't care won't know. So and maybe we'd rather not point out to them yeah, that we exactly. haven't done it before. So we don't want to, yeah. Or we don't want to trigger any racists by saying, this is the first black world champion. We could just say, it's a black world champion. It, it's, it seems like it's, you know, plays into the history of major wrestling promotions, trying to have it both ways, where it's like, mm -hmm. well, let's, let's be more inclusive because people like that now and it'll make us money. But let's make sure we still hang on to the racists because they're exactly. a big market. Right. You don't fully condemn them, but you're like... We need their money, so let's not piss them off too much. Oh, especially in the especially in the southern wrestling circuits that WCW really made their bread and butter on. I mean, even the people, like the they didn't mention it. I mean, they didn't mention it for all the above reasons. Like I can picture people in like Atlanta um, thinking if they were to mention it, thinking to themselves that you know they weren't racist, but I don't know why they have to mention mm -hmm. it. He's just a great wrestler. Everything racism ended in the '60s, right? Yeah, yeah, and like it's it's just um yeah they 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 needed the they needed the racist dollar. Uh, racism in northern wrestling was absolutely there. It kind of took a different form. I always like to point out that wrestling in New York in the 70s, you know, under Vince McMahon Sr., almost everybody in the WWWF was some kind of broad ethnic stereotype. And that's because in New York City, you had to draw from every ethnic group to fill Madison Square Garden. You said you um, said when you got to when you first started training training at Johnny Rods, he took that from yeah. early WWF, not early, oh, yeah, WWF. Yeah. You're the Amish guy. <laughs> 
if you go to one of Johnny Rods' school shows, which I highly recommend if you're in Brooklyn once once all this is over, hopefully they, they start back up. A lot of the basic gimmicks he gives their guys are just based on what he perceives their ethnicity to be. And indeed, my first gimmick was he looked at me and he was like, you're going to be the Amish guy. So I'm like, yes, Johnny, I'm going to be the Amish guy. And he says, you know why I say Amish? I'm like, why? He says, because I speak English. I'm like, okay, Johnny, that's cool. Um, <laughs> Dunking on the Amish. As, as a result, however, as a result, however, there's always like half a dozen to a dozen guys going through Johnny's school whose gimmick is just that they're Puerto Rican because Johnny's Puerto Rican. So he attracts a lot of Puerto Rican guys. So he makes a lot of guys where that's their whole gimmick. And he doesn't see why that would be an issue. After all, Pedro Morales was over like Rover. But, you know, he was also Pedro Morales, not a bunch of teenagers. Also, right. I think any, any, as anybody who grew up in the greater New York City area will tell you that I'm going to say 60 to 70% of the white people that live within a three-hour drive of New York City define themselves almost primarily by, like, I, I'm Italian and I like to fuck, or I'm Irish and I like to fuck, and that's it. I lived in Long Island for six years, and I'm still very upset about it. Uh, <laughs> well, you should I, be. Yeah, I saw, I saw so many fight. It was the most violent place I've ever lived. I saw so many... Like, two times I saw a guy, like, just get, like, beaten within an inch of his life on the train on a Saturday. Or anyway, carrying so on. So, I think <laughs> one thing that helped Ron Simmons here was the stereotype that they stuck him with was one of the less, like, offensive ones, just that he's an athlete, right? Yeah, he, um, it was, they used him for his legitimate sports background, which, of course, is what helped propel him to the top, where they're like, sure. he's a legitimate athlete, which WCW loved at the time. Totally. And, Oh, Bill Watts was so, was big on football players, yeah. and Jim Ross was big on football players. I mean, got, Jim Ross have... always has been like that, still is like that, was always through that. I mean, even with, like, Bradshaw, he would always, every match, uh, he played for the with the Oakland Raiders. And then, of course, if you look at Oakland Raiders, like, roster logs, you don't see him anywhere on them. <laughs> but it's whatever. Jared was like, he played football. He played. He tried out for the Raiders. He played for the Raiders. Boomer sooner, y'all. And like, I don't no, know it's... that much about football, but in this match, uh, Jim Ross mentions it. We get a great defensive lineman versus a great offensive lineman. Right, because Vader played football too. He and, played for the Rams. And you, you feel that dynamic, right? Like the guy, yeah. one guy trying to get around the other guy, and the other guy trying to stop him. Now, does Simmons also have an amateur wrestling background at all? Because he seems like he he he. Puts a hold on a guy like he knows what he's doing. That doesn't necessarily mean amateur ba wrestling background, but he he looks he looks like he knows what he's doing in a way that I appreciate it. I think that's just from years and years of playing football. So sure. being an athlete, you can kind of apply that kind of yeah, stuff yeah. to every athletic that you do. I mean, every athlete I know is at least halfway decent at every sport. Yeah, true. And if and they're really good at one. They're halfway decent at every. And there is a way, actually, the football thing kind of makes sense, too, because there's, like, the the way in which he's able to move around as a big guy and still be, like, quick and still, like, be able to, like, snap the other guy up and, like, you know, all this shit. And especially, you know, like, moving Vader around, and Vader is clearly just, like, a slab filled with lead fucking pellets, like... I, you know, Slater, uh, Vader is a football team. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's an he's, entire football yeah. team. I don't know if you guys saw NXT Takeover last night, but um, Pat McAfee. I, I saw a fair amount. Pat of it. McAfee, you know, you could tell he was really rough at the mechanics of pro wrestling in a lot of ways, but athletically, he was amazing. And 
he he did a lot better than I thought he would. I, I, I did not know the guy from anything. I haven't been watching NXT. I was like, ah, oh, they're bringing some guy in because Adam Cole's already gone through the whole roster. And then uh, him and Cole had um had one of the, one of the best matches yeah. of the night. Really, really, right. and psychology I mean, it, it was kind wise, of an underwhelming takeover yeah. by my uh, standards. But they have such a high standard. Psychology bros. wise, McAfee is an absolute natural. I mean, just everything he does makes yeah. me angry. So he's a great. He deal. knew yes. to like hit hit Cole and then take a full twenty five seconds to look at the crowd, which wasn't there, and act for the camera, which was. Um. All right. So, uh, the match ends with um. Simmons escaping the power bomb, hitting a power slam, and getting the one. A beautiful two, three. power slam. Really beautiful yes. power slam. Fantastic. Uh, on Vader, on Vader, who's such a huge guy, so that's yeah. particularly difficult. Like he looked like he was controlling Vader in the. Yeah, air. it's not just one of the like snap power slams. It's like he lifts him up, twists him in the air, and yeah. Without n- without a whole lot of momentum, like Vader didn't yeah. even run that much. So this the the setup for the match was that Sting was supposed to challenge Vader, but was injured by Jake the Snake Roberts. But I think that was all kayfabe. Um, but this was like a huge surprise for people attending the, this house show. And I think it's interesting because about a month or two later, Bret Hart beats Ric Flair for the WWF title at a house show. And I wonder if there was some influence there where WWF was like, oh, shit, people can't get the idea that WCW's house shows are more unpredictable and like cooler shit can happen there. Uh, Maybe we should do our big title change at a house show as well. Just speculation. I mean, that would make sense. That seems like a kind of thing that would happen. I wouldn't be surprised if they thought of it. I mean, there are several reasons why that title change happened in the WWF, not the least of which that Ric Flair was experiencing serious equilibrium problems. For a hot minute, he thought he was going to have to retire there, but uh, you know, it, it got it got better. So, uh, so it was, it was a quick thing they had to do. Simmons uh, held the title for about four months and then lost it back to Vader. I there's like kind of a gap in his wrestling career before he comes to WWF. I think I'm not sure really what he was doing for like. 93 to 95. I think he was just shuffled down the card, I would think, and then not used and just waiting out a contract would be my guess. Like a lot of people in WCW at the time. Yeah, exactly. WCW was such a mess in the early 90s. Like they, they kept changing management. A lot of people were like, several people got fired that had like long term contracts that they ended up just sitting at home and collecting what they call mailbox money every two weeks <laughs> until their contracts were up instead of breaking the contracts, which, hey, good work if you can get it, you know? I mean, they did that when WCW died. Yeah, anybody that had a direct contract with Turner Time Warner, um, or I guess AOL Time Warner, as it was by the time they folded, in not a contract with the company WCW, uh, some of those people had contracts a year and a half out, and they got paid millions of dollars. So Simmons gets signed by WWF during this very transitional time in the business. They give him the name Farouk Assad. They make him the modern-day gladiator with this stupid-ass-looking helmet. He attacks Ahmed Johnson. Uh, we, I had you guys watch this promo. I have a technical question yeah. about this gladiator character. So, like, is he supposed to be, like, actually from the past? Because he sort of makes a reference that I interpreted as he had traveled here from the past. None of this was very clear. It was super vague. He was with Sonny. Bad gimmick. For some reason. Yeah. So can I just say about Sonny, uh, you know what's aged like uh, 
Warm milk on a hot summer day is Sonny managing a feud between two black men. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Sonny in general. Uh, and you know they had that in mind by putting I was trying to be nice, but I guess she doesn't deserve it at this point. No, 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 she doesn't. (laughs) So that match between Farouk and Ahmed Johnson never happened at SummerSlam because Ahmed was injured, I think. Um, yeah, he, it was Ahmed John- Johnson. We can just assume he was injured. Yeah, yeah. You got yeah. a little taste of Ahmed here, Evan. I, he's great. Like I loved Ahmed as a kid, but he just oh, yeah. he didn't uh, he wasn't able to realize his potential for various reasons. Yeah, Ahmed Johnson was great, and as um, this is one of those things where it's like representation matters. Because I remember as a little kid, uh, so this was ninety five or ninety six. I would have been seven or eight years old and just like, I liked wrestling. I'd always liked wrestling, but then Ahmed Johnson shows up and I'm like, whoa. And in my head, I didn't like put it together. But as an adult, I can look back and go, holy shit, black guy. And he's not Saba Simba and he's not, you know, losing all the time. He slammed Yokozuna. Yeah, he slammed Yokozuna. He became the first black intercontinental champion. When he was doing stand-up interviews in the ring with Vince, Vince would look at him with a look on his face that it's it's a certain Vince look. He looked at Andre the Giant like that. He looked at Hulk Hogan like that. He looked he looked at Steve Austin like that when he wasn't trying to make that face when he was being Mr. McMahon. But like I think Vince wanted to just go with Ahmed Johnson. But Ahmed just kept getting injured. <laughs> Yeah. Is there some is there a specific person you can point to and say this was the first black wrestler to work for Vince McMahon and not be like a horrible caricature that Vince clearly pitched and then the guy in his head was like, Well, fuck, I would like to wrestle in the WWE, so I guess I'll take this awful gimmick he's given me. You talking about Ahmed? No, I'm or, just saying no, is there I, I like, think he's who, asking, who like, was like oh. the first guy to be to, to be able to uh, embody a non-racist character in the WWE. Coco Beware wasn't really a racist character. Yeah, and Coco Beware Jones. was a yeah. But SD Jones worked for Vince Senior. Rocky Johnson kind of grandfathered in. Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas. Rocky Johnson. I mean, that's a stereotype uh, yeah, at the I very so, least. Yeah. yeah. And the yeah. yeah. I defer to Devin on this one. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, there were. I mean, there were a lot of like character like wrestlers where being black was part of their gimmick but they weren't super offensive like you guys in the Roddy Piper episode talked about uh, Bad News Allen Bad News Brown. and I mean he was black and that was part of his character but it wasn't like he's, he he was a badass first yeah exactly yeah. it wasn't like he's yeah. black yeah. and he's a criminal or he's black and he's a jungle savage he's you know it's he's he's a black man who's a badass and he's a proud black man and that's kind of it we'll get into it more when we get to the actual matches but i felt like the way in which the wwe was presenting the nation of domination kind of like storyline or like their position as heels i was watching and i was like while i couldn't say this is the most racist ww thing that wwe has ever done it's sort of the deepest and most complex racism i've seen them do where they're just like oh yeah of a, a violent gang of people who want to dominate the world 
and people who are like fighting for like black power and rights in America. That's the same thing. Right. Those are the same guy. Yeah. Like, let's just take literally all of the fears <laughs> that we have and embody them in this one group and then make them the worst villains. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, uh, and then also they all seem like good fucking wrestlers, too. Like there was some good stuff happening in those matches. But yeah, the funny thing about it is they put Crush and Savio Vega in there right. to be like, <laughs> no, it's not actually a race well, and, thing. I mean, and later, oh, start up PG-13 white rappers. PG-13. Right, uh, <laughs> right oh, at the so beginning, good. before the nation of domination is a thing. It's literally just Farouk and a theme song. Right. Wolfie D uh, and JC Ice. Yeah. Oh, that PG-13. Hurt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the PG-13. thing about PG-13, when that gimmick started in Memphis as, hey, don't you want to hate these two guys because they're skinny white rappers? And then the WWE like completely legitimized the gimmick by putting them out there as yeah. part of the quasi black power group. Yeah. Like you're missing the mark a bit, Vince, as you tend to do. The acquisition of this knowledge has caused me pain <laughs> and I, I just want, I just want to put that out there. So I was at this survivor series when the nation first debuted the uh, nation debuted. Yeah. At Madison square garden. Right. They were advertising the match and in all the promotion Farouk was still in his ridiculous gladiator getup. And like to their credit, they saw that for a couple of months and they were like, this isn't working. And it's not that Ron Simmons isn't working. It's that this isn't working. And they went in a different Take direction. Take that stupid and, hat off. And this is <laughs> for, for all the analysis we can do about the nation. It ended up being a very successful group for a couple of years. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, the Nation of Domination, they were supposed to be bad guys. But for me as a kid, once again, I was just like, this is great. I love these guys. They're all amazing. It was great. Reincarnation of the Nation of Domination is great, in my opinion. And I got to say, actually, that's good to know that there is a, because when I was you know, I'm watching it as an adult, but when I was watching it, to me, I was like, oh, wow, they are so obviously framing them as like evil. Oh, yeah, that, that it like yeah. bothered me. So it's good to know that there that maybe that passed over the head of some kids and they were able to just enjoy the awesomeness of it. I mean, I always like bad guys. Always. I've always been sure. a fan of villains. Like my favorite comical characters are always super villains. You said your favorite wrestler was Roddy Piper. Right? Yeah, Roddy Piper is my favorite wrestler of all yeah. time, which is problematic. I understand. <laughs> sure. But also I didn't see any of that stuff. I was too young. <laughs> <laughs> But um, like this is also an, an importantly like transitional time in the history of the WWF. This particular Survivor Series, uh, yeah. Evan, you already watched the Bret Hart Steve Austin match from this. Which that was, was the match immediately preceding this match. It's why the canvas is so covered in blood. And this oh. is also the night where Sid beats Shawn Michaels for the world title, and the Garden cheers for him, even though he's totally the heel. So the lines between face and heel were beginning to blur in a lot of different ways, which lent itself to attitudes toward the nation being complicated and varied. Yeah. I mean, who who amongst us besides Evan, who hasn't seen much of him or any of him at all that I can remember, uh, hasn't cheered for Sid regardless of the situation? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or his skill in the ring or anything else. He just comes <laughs> on screen and you love him. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, c correction here. That's I am mistaken. I don't think the immediate previous match was Brett versus Austin. The Brett versus Austin match I'm thinking of, where Austin bleeds out, is immediately preceding the street fight at WrestleMania. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, he didn't bleed at the Survivor Series match. Yeah. So, 
this Survivor Series match, part of it, like, we could talk about the nation, but I also think this is a very good opportunity for us to touch on a bunch of the characters that come out now who we probably we may not do. Like, we're not going to do a whole episode on the fake Razor and Diesel, but, man, Evan, please tell me what was going through I, your mind when they were like, here comes Razor Ramon, and then this cosplayer comes out. I, I was really... It was a bummer because I, while I knew intellectually that the WW, that they own, you know, the characters and the, the copyright on the characters a lot of the times, I hadn't really seen just a blatant recasting yeah. like this. And I didn't know if it was supposed to be like a joke or part of a storyline they were doing or if they were really just like, no, these are those guys now. I didn't know as a kid either. I couldn't tell whether they were being serious I or not. I still honestly. can't tell. And at one point, they at one point I think it's like, who is it? Is it Jr. on commentary that oh, says God. he's? It's is is it Jr. on commentary that says yes. like it's a more handsome Razor Ramon? And I'm just like yeah. looking at the TV like TV like bullshit. This he's, was 1996. He has like, as much just, right to be called Razor Ramon as anyone else. Yeah. yeah let, no. let me just know. It was just that he called him the mo more handsome Razor Ramon. Like, have you seen yeah. Scott Hall in 1996? <laughs> he was he was one of the most attractive men of the era. Like, bullshit. Shut up, Jr. They couldn't have gotten someone with abs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's be let's be clear that like classic Scott Hall was like a sex yeah. machine sculpted out of pure beef. Like there's yes, no right. exactly. you can't find yeah. that. oozing machismo. This yeah, guy was machismo. not this guy was oozing something. Oozing, yeah. I think he's just oozing, yes. Cool. Um, so there's uh there's uh eight guys in this match. Okay, all right, let me so the guys. Who, who's, who's <laughs> well, hold on, we're we're gonna we're gonna give a pass to the fake diesel. Oh, did, well, did you recognize Kane, him, so. Evan? Oh, yeah. sorry, spoilers. Okay. I oh, no, I did not. Who? Wait, who is he? Well, He's I'm Kane. That's Kane. Yes, that yeah. is Glenn Jacobs. That and, is and he, mayor he was... of Knox, Tennessee, anti-masker Glenn Jacobs. Yeah. He he is also um, he was also Doctor Isaac Yankum, DDS, the dentist that we saw in a, in a recent episode, I, I believe. I want to <laughs> be fair here and say that. Kane was a better fake Diesel than the guy playing fake Razor. Yeah, sure. But, oh, yeah. I mean, Diesel Neither didn't have a good, lot of stuff to do. Right, so Diesel was also flirt. way worse right. than Razor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love Diesel, but... You could argue that he was bad at it because he's just like once again, like I mean Diesel for all the ways that he sucks is a very handsome man, and Kane oh, is very not. charismatic. And you can't you can't hide you can't hide that Kane can't can't I mean, fake that. Okay. Yeah. I've listened to a lot of episodes of this show. I think you guys give Diesel way too much hate. Uh, <laughs> he fucking rules. Uh, Kevin Nash yeah, is go. a national treasure. Uh, he, he has a he, look. He has a very yeah. powerful charisma that I, I I really do. I have to give that up. And he and he power slams people very effectively. Power bombs, but yes, power bombs. Yeah. power bombs people. Um, I just. Uh, I am enough younger than you guys that it's just like you were smarter than me at the time when Diesel was happening. <laughs> no, no, Devin, I loved no, no, Diesel no, as Devin, a kid. Hold on. I loved it's, Diesel it's, as a kid. Uh, e Evan here has seen a, a fair amount of Diesel now, and he is just not impressed. I mean, and uh, you know, we we can't we can't force it. It's okay. Is he it's technically okay. limited? Sure, but it's a hell of a character, and Kevin Nash is very charismatic, and. I like 
really it's more I like Kevin Nash as a person more than as a wrestler, sure. and I just apply Same. that now. Yeah. So, he seems, so before, he seems before like a you friendly get... person. I will say he does exude yeah. a real friendliness that har- is hard to fake. Uh, before, Ben, I know you're, you're trying to get through the, the full rundown of the match. Before we get to that, yeah, there is a reason specifically why they did the fake reason, uh, Razor and Diesel. When Scott Hall and Kevin Nash showed up on Nitro using their real names, um, the WWF st- that day already started to try to sue WCW over their usage of the guys. Now, they couldn't tell them, well, you can't use these guys that you have under contract, but they say you can't use the characters that they were in the WWF. And they're like, well, we've, we've given them different names. It's like, yeah, but Scott Hall is still doing his fake Cuban accent, which is not his real accent. He still has, like, his hair done that way. Kevin Nash is still, like, cool in the way that he is, which was very hard to define. And... In order for the WWF to defend their trademarks and say, well, these are our characters that we can use them, they put on television two guys doing those characters to try and prove, you know, this point that it's not these guys, it's the characters. Turns out it was those guys. Yeah. It was totally um, those guys, yes. Yeah, that, that uh, the, the litigation, the constant litigation between the WWF and WCW uh, is a long and boring story, and that's just kind of a, te- uh, a tip of it. But there was a reason, other than just arrogance, why they did this. They were trying to prove a legal point. So, uh, is, is this the match Yoko was in? Yeah, this was yeah. Yokozuna's last match. We should match touch on that WWF. as sad as it is. Yeah. So. Okay, so yeah. rounding out rounding out Team Nation yeah. with Farouk, he's got the nation with him, including Clarence Mason, who should be mentioned, though. Clarence the- Mason rules. Yeah. I don't know why he went away. Yeah. Um, he he wasn't he wasn't a, he wasn't a wrestling guy. Uh, they they hired him. WCW hired him briefly, and then that was just it. So rounding out the team of Farouk, Fake Razor, Fake Diesel, and then Vader, who's there with Jim Cornette, and they're against Savio Vega. Uh, before and I, for, I had remembered him already being in the nation at this point, but no, he's on the opposing team. Yokozuna, Flash Funk. Who is the team captain making his debut? Yes, uh, for the former, and then later again, Two Cold Scorpio, who is a great wrestler and character and very notable person in his own very innovative high flyer. Um, Yeah, can I I give some random trivia? Can I give some random podcast trivia? What's that about Two Cold Scorpio? Please, Uh, by all accounts of everyone that's ever met him, and this is no longer a rumor. Everyone in. Wrestling who has ever shared a locker room with Too Cold Scorpio says he has the biggest dong that they've ever seen. <laughs> this is not like rumor. This is not like on some like wrestling sleaze list. Several fact. people in, have confirmed this. In, in Mick Foley, he describes Scorpio as a genitalactic freak of nature, and he <laughs> he notes he notes in his second book when he talks about writing his first book that lawyers went through his book to make sure he didn't say anything that could get him sued, and they they singled that out. They're like, "Is Mister Scorpio going to have a problem with you calling him a genitalactic freak of nature?" And he said, "If I know Scorpio, he." has that page framed on the wall of his house (laughs) (laughs) now scorpio Um, i do i also just want to point out real quick there was one point in the match where flash funk kicks somebody in the face and one of the announcers goes "Uh uh-huh that's funky (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so old scorpio was so good by the yeah, way scorpio, dog aside scorpio was an incredible innovator in wrestling one of the first like great high flyers i became aware of when i started watching as a kid uh should have 
been more successful in the WWF than he was. Now, one, they stuck him with this gimmick that has possibly the most racist stereotypes clustered together in a single gimmick. Dancing pimp. Da- right, dancing the pimp. Dancing pimp, ra- right. Kind of, I think he was a rapper to some degree as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, I... Um, I think they were behind the Flash Funk character. According to Scorpio himself, the reason why he didn't go any farther was that he was heavily addicted to crack cocaine at this point. Really? So, yeah. 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 He was uh, he was on a lot of drugs. Uh, He had just come from ECW where he was doing a lot of drugs. And before that, he was in WCW and occasionally wrestled. Right. Yes, yes. And uh, I don't know what the drug scene in the early 90s in WCW was, but he was just on increasingly amounts of drugs, which is one of the main reasons why, as innovative as he was, he didn't quite hit the ceiling that he was capable of. Uh, also, like, more high flyers started to come out, and um, since he wasn't really defending his crown pretty soon, everybody banging on the high flyer drum kind of left Scorpio behind in favor of Rey Mysterio and the Luchadors in WCW. And if he had kept his stuff together, I think he could. He would be in that conversation more often. So the last member of this team, the mystery partner, is uh, Mr. Murdery over there, Jimmy Superfly Snooka. Alleged murderer, but only alleged because he didn't get put on trial. Right, because right, right. he, yeah, he Yeah, by the time they put him on trial, finally, they and were then like, he died. we can't because he's crazy. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, his his brain is he did absolutely kill that woman, though. Just yeah. on record for the podcast, we all agree he yes, killed that yes. woman. Yeah, the, the judge looked at him and was like, he's going to be dead within the year and doesn't know he's in the courtroom. We can't try this. And it's true. Yeah. Justice wasn't served when they didn't have the trial 30 years ago, not when when the judge looked at him and said he didn't know he's here, you know, and he was yeah. dead within the year. Even if they tried him and found him guilty, justice still wouldn't yeah. be served in that. Right. I wanted to say one last thing about uh, the fake razor, actually. He he does the fallaway slam terribly. <laughs> Fucks it up completely. Slam ever. But Cornette says the SOS claims another victim. SOS, which stands for sack of shit, which is what yep. uh, yeah. Scott Hall called that move. <laughs> uh, they even called the SOS. What does that stand for? Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, at, right. one, at one point, uh, one of the announcers accuses the other of, uh, he just goes, you couldn't manage a Wendy's. <laughs> that was Jim Cornette talking to Jr. Okay, yeah, that's so, great. So Fake Diesel eliminates Savio with the jackknife. Uh, Superfly eliminates um, Razor with the Superfly splash, and then they all get a bunch of chairs, and it's a big double DQ, and that's the end of that. Yeah, Yokozuna was barely in the match. He came in occasionally to throw a few strikes here and there, but he was like, I couldn't tell you exactly how much he weighed at this point. Probably in excess of six hundred. Yeah, in excess of 600 pounds. This was his last appearance like on screen, I believe, for the WWF. Individual state athletic commissions started to not allow him to be on shows. And once one or two commissions say, no, you're not healthy enough to be on the show, all the others follow suit. And once that happens, the WWF finally had to cut his contract because they he literally could not provide them the service that he was contracted to do. They tried so hard to get him to get his weight under control. You know, they, they, they sent him to programs. They gave him, like, uh, people to help. And he couldn't do it. He refused. Yo, he yo. kept saying he was going to do it himself. Your food addiction's real, man. 
man. The food addiction he was is addic- real. He was addicted to eating. Straight up, all the stories you hear about him, he was addicted to eating. And, and like, he can barely, he, he, it's just depressing here to see him. It's not like weight shaming. He's clearly like, he can, he can barely like stay on his feet. Right. If you're sitting around and you're like an average American at 250 pounds or whatever because of all the reasons your lifestyle is and everything that you eat and everything that you do. Yeah, it's fine. That's, you know, that's fine. You do. If you're you, man. 600 pounds, if you're 600 pounds, chances are you have a big problem. And Yoko had a big problem. If you're 600 pounds, there's a TV show you can go on now about how big of a problem that is. Oh, my God. Well, Yoko sadly died before he was 40 because of these issues. Um, He would continue to wrestle after this. You can see him wrestle even heavier in in certain places. Legends of the Ring, right? It's on the YouTube, Uh, I believe. It's on the YouTube. Legends of of Wrestling. Legends of Wrestling. Legends of of Wrestling. Okay. uh, It's it's bad. It's real bad. So, Evan, what did you think of this match for what it was? I wasn't. I didn't understand why I was watching it. You were watching it just to see the debut of the nation mostly and also to get this view of what the WWF roster was like during this transitional period. They're introducing these edgy gimmicks like the nation and stone cold, but they've still got a lot of silliness going on as well. Uh, Okay. That makes sense. Cause I just, I felt like there's just wasn't a lot of Farouk in this match. Yeah. They talk him up right at the beginning and then he kind of like clothes. He delivers a fuck of a spine buster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His spine oh, buster is a thing God. of beauty. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess this was, this was an all right. Th- I, yeah, it, it seems like it, it's a weird time. Like now that you've contextualized it, it does seem like they didn't quite know what they were doing with anybody. So fast forward to WrestleMania 13, which, as we've mentioned, you've seen the Bret Hart, Steve Austin match from as well. Um, and now we're already, you know, this is as we've talked about before, kind of the beginning of the Attitude Era. And this match, I think, besides the Bret Austin match, this is like my other favorite match from WrestleMania 13, the Chicago street fight between Ahmed Johnson and the Legion of Doom, Hawk and Animal, and they're all wearing the Legion of Doom shoulder pads, and Ahmed looks just incredibly badass. Ahmed looks great, man. It's a shame there were problems. He could have, he could have brought the WWF into the next era. Um, yeah, Ahmed yeah. always looked badass. Yeah, and they're against uh, the nation of Farouk, Savio, and Crush with uh, their their whole crew, including D'Lo Brown now, who actually does a lot of the work in the match, despite not being officially in it. Yeah, they don't have a name. They just keep calling him like that guy He's over like there. Like that guy. What's this guy doing? What's that guy doing? <laughs> You haven't given him a name. Soon after, soon afterwards, they'd start using his name. Yeah. So let's start with the promo before the match, the nation <laughs> promo, where they, you know, they're like, "Yeah, the thugs and criminals are coming out." Like, uh, they they sound like Magneto and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. It's yeah. Like, no, no, we're for the good of everything and evil. Yeah. Like, wait, something isn't quite lining up here. Yeah. Exactly. It's. Okay, I will say, um, I love this match, at, and I remember watching the highlights of it because we weren't allowed to get pay-per-views, but watching it on Raw the next time and be like, these are all my favorite people, how did I not get to watch this match? Because LOD is my favorite tag team of all time, I was, I loved Ahmed Johnson, uh, Farouk was great, like, I remember the Jack's bone-crunching action figures. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. as soon as Farouk and 
Ahmed Johnson was like in the line. I was like, need that, need that. All right, I'm good. I don't need another Shawn Michaels. We're fine. I've got those two also. Actually, <laughs> the general idea of the Nation of Domination fighting post-apocalyptic raiders, I mean, like, that is pretty badass, right? That's just, like, on oh, a basic sure. level, yeah. the, the stylistic clash here is cool. And it's and such Farouk a... looks badass with his beret. Oh, yeah, yeah, big time. <laughs> such a crazy, <laughs> fun brawl. And it, yeah. They really beat us over the head with that whole kitchen sink joke, yeah. despite the and, fact yeah. that it doesn't actually get used in the match. Yeah. It's, yeah, they just brought it out. So they can be like, yeah, hey, see, the kitchen sink. It's the kitchen sink. It's like, okay, check out the kitchen sink. When is the kitchen sink going to be? Right. I, I think Chekhov's my favorite. kitchen sink. <laughs> what was the Chekhov's joke we made before on the podcast? Well, I talked making about. making laugh so hard. Chekhov's. Chekhov's oh, trumpet, yes. yes, yes. yes. <laughs> or, or trombone, yeah. Yo, it was yeah. a trumpet. I, I, think, I think my favorite part of this match is my favorite, like, shot is a couple of guys I can't remember who are fighting in the foreground on the floor. And behind them, one of the nation guys is just getting up. And then you see Ahmed Johnson horizontally launch himself over the guardrail (laughs) into the ring portion because he had just done that to the outside and the camera cut away, thinking that's the end of that. It's like, no, Ahmed Johnson, was. this was WrestleMania. He's going to missile himself at his opponent again. It's Ralph Wiggum flying through the window. Right. <laughs> Isn't this the match where he hits? I think he hits someone with a chair, and you could tell he didn't even really like stop to aim. He just like slams it on on whoever he's aiming for, kind of. They they mention in the Undertaker match that we'll talk about next that Farouk had like a punctured lung and separated shoulder from this match, and I don't know how much of that is kayfabe, but the way he gets like slammed through the table by Farouk, by Ahmed and like Ugh. pile drives like. I have a feeling that that might have been a shoot, actually, those injuries. Yeah, he got fucked up. Like, if if, if they if anybody walked out of this match without some kind of injury, they should, I don't know, start a church or, <laughs> or, or a god or some minor deity. They should they should at least be donating their DNA to science so yeah, as to build like more resilient humans for the for the post apocalyptic wasteland. At at some point, there's a pinfall, and it doesn't really matter. Everyone just yeah. keeps fighting. The LOD managed to take out uh, both of PG-13, which was great. Those guys really needed to get some Doomsday device in. That was fucking beautiful. Another thing that makes me think that Frug was really injured is I have a feeling he might have been more of a part of the finish, not necessarily that he was the one who was going to get pinned, but it seems like they kind of audible it a little bit. So, like, uh, they do the doomsday device on Crush, and they don't pin him. And then Ahmed just hits him with a two-by-four, and then they pin him. And then yeah. they do the, the d- double doomsday on PG-13 that Doc mentioned. But it seemed like, yeah, they weren't quite sure what they were doing, and it might have had to do with Farouk being hurt. Yeah, I was watching this, and, I like, the two-by-four thing happened. I was like, wait, that's the finish? After all this chaos, that's the finish. A two-by-four. All right, yep. whatever. Yeah, the, the, the match was all chaos, and that includes kind of a finish that comes out of nowhere because, of course, they're all just beaten up enough to end it. Uh, and I like that. I like the fact that they let it get to be that much chaos. Like, who even were the defined members of the Nation of Domination? I mean, I guess it was uh, I guess it was Farouk, Savio, and Crush, but really it was the whole gang of guys. Yeah, everybody yeah, was there was taking bunches, throwing shots. Like Clarence yeah. Mason got debriefed. As the announcer said, <laughs> when he got nailed the one time. Yeah. 
All right. So this, so, you know, I think for, and, and we'll talk about this a bunch, but I, I agree that Farouk was mes- mishandled and like the whole nation gimmick was in a sense a mishandling, but he did get a shot at the main event. And we see that in this King of the Ring match, King of the Ring 97, the main event was for the world title, Undertaker defending against Farouk. And this is the one main event shot that Farouk got. And he didn't get another one afterwards. I think for a variety of reasons. Um, But, okay, before we get into the match, though, this is a hell of a fucking promo as well before this one. Um both of them. I, I always I like the promos that have like nine guys on screen at once because I, I just think there's a certain effect to it. You know, uh, my favorite one of those once was like four people and one of them was Owen Hart. And th- they're going to go around and talk to everybody one at a time. And they talk to Owen first. Then they move the microphone around so everyone else can have a say. But Owen just keeps talking, not into the microphone. He just talks over everyone else continuing to promo. I think when they finally cut the camera, he's still just going on about how great he is and how much his opponents suck. Um, now, I don't know Todd, why that came to mind. Todd Pettengill mentions, unlike in the WCW match, Todd Pettengill mentions that if Farouk were to win, he would be the first African-American world champ, to which Farouk replies by saying he would be the first black world champ. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, And also that great line of the Undertaker's doing his pre-Kane bullshit. And so he's like, don't worry about that black male. Worry about this black male. Oh, that was, yeah, that was, you that, are was a king. that was incredible. Like, that was great. great. Well, Paul Bear continues his streak of always being the best thing on screen whenever he's on screen. Yeah, when I was thinking about putting this match on, like, we already had three matches. And I was like, you know, it's not a great match. Like, it's important in some ways. But once I noticed that, like, Paul Bear was a big part of it, I was like, okay, we can, we can make Evan watch four matches. <laughs> we are, I'm, I, I'm, soon I'm going to have to put my foot down. And we are going to have to put together the Paul Bearer episode. Sure. Because I know every time I will. It's the only thing that when I'm scrolling through a pay-per-view to go see a match, I will stop and watch Paul Bearer segments that have nothing to do with the episode we're doing. (laughs) Just because every moment that I'm watching Paul Bearer is a moment that I'm a little happier. I and love like, when life's Doc, a little better. Doc is interviewing them and Undertaker tries to talk and Bear is like, zip it, Lazarus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that's great about uh, about Farouk's promo is that there is an undercurrent of just like, you're dead? I don't have time for that. Fuck you. That's dumb. Is, I don't care. This is gingery burnt to a crisp, Paul Bear. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Completely. Um, so... Then when they're doing their entrances, Vince has a couple of interesting lines. Um, first, he says that Farouk would be the first world champion of color, which is false because Pedro Morales, Pedro Morales. was champion. Um, and then he says Farouk is definitely playing the race card here, which I guess is true in the story. But uh, a weird thing for oh, yeah, to be saying. He, wasn't it like he kind of bullied his way into the match or something? Yeah, he's claiming that, yeah, he. I think there was some kind of complaint that he hadn't gotten a shot previously yeah. or something like that. Well, it, it's that kind of, like, halfway politically correct to cover for the fact that you aren't, like, what would now be known as woke in the slightest, you know, shit that Vince has done a lot. Like, if you're going to... 
if you're going to do an angle where like a black man is trying to leverage that into an advantage and make him a heel, first of all, maybe don't. Uh, but second of all, if you're going to do it, like go all the way with it. Do do what they did in Smoky Mountain where the gangsters were like, nah, for reparations, we're going to win with a two count. And then yeah. they did that for a while <laughs> where like you know, New Jack would pin his opponent and be one, two, we win. Like this is like this. This didn't work. And like, yeah, the, the, the whole like of color terminology that Vince was trying to use that he used incorrectly, that all of that. When the only person who's like, no, I'll be the first black world champion is, is Farouk himself, because that's what it is. Well, I mean, I, it wasn't. He didn't win, but it, he beat Vader several years yeah. previous. So I, that's a different match. I mean, it feels like, you know, it feels like Vince Vince being like, all right, how do I play on people's like primal fears and how like Farouk and the nation are just sort of a repository of what racist white guys are afraid of when it comes where like the, the way that he, you know, like I was saying, he's like, oh, like criminals and black activists and dictators of African countries and th these are all the same guys to me and so it's the same like if there's so, sort of a an affirmative action angle I think that's like or sort of like that's Vince being like oh here's another thing people are afraid of to play off of that because I think yeah. Vince is that's how Vince's psychology works yeah yeah plus he's an old white dude from North Carolina so oh yeah <laughs> Uh, I was going to mention that as well, but in I'm his glad brain, that I it's like, it. no, black people are this, this, or this. Like, exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I, is, I think it's Vince looking at his own fears and being like, "How do I make these characters out of my own fears that pe then resonate with racist white people?" And I yeah. remember, like, the Nation of Islam and stuff, especially under Farrakhan, was very much like looked at as demonic and evil by the mainstream American yeah. media at the time. Yeah. Oh no, they were bad, bad guys. They weren't good yeah. people. Um, yeah. But um, this, the nation of domination stuff, kind of informed one of the things you guys brought up on one of the New Day episodes was when the formation of the New Day was happening, and they were like, "Oh, okay. So if you're going to be a black stable, that means you're going to be like, or a black wrestler, that means you're going to be a jungle savage or a black militant or whatever." And they didn't want to do that. And this is. An example of, well, black wrestlers. So, yeah, black militants, black power guys. Yeah, there you go. And they're bad guys. They're bad of course. Guys. But even with the New Day, they started as a black stereotype. They were right. preachers. Sure. With a different black stereotype than we were used to. Biggie uh, still goes into that preacher, preacher uh, promo mentality sometimes. But in fairness to Biggie, he is the son of a preacher. So he's a child preacher. Yeah. Oh, wow. He's yeah, a, if you guys yeah, haven't listened that, to their I podcast yet, yeah, there's an episode where he talks about how he was a child preacher, and that's, that's why he's fantastic. not religious anymore. It still helps his promos that he can go into that so naturally. Well, yeah, that, well, that, it's, that, it's that's natural it. now, as opposed to like Vince's idea of... I, I, I haven't heard the New Day podcast. I heard the New Day on Chris Jericho's podcast when they were on and explained all of that. And um, they were they were talking. Yeah, they were disappointed when they found that because they were like, we thought we knew all the stereotypes that Vince had heard of. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, nope, he's constantly up a magazine at some point. Nope. 
But he says that when they were trying to get the New Day music together, Vince is like, yeah, church music. And then he gave them like slow, 100-year-old organ music and like, you know, hymns that have no rhythm. And they're like, well, we had to teach Vince who Kirk Franklin was because he had never heard of that. And they had never heard of Neo Soul and he had never heard of basically any of the music that they've played in black churches for like 25 years now at least. Right. Um, Um, Yeah. And even when the New Day formed or when they first came together before they were the New Day, when it was just Xavier Woods, Kofi Kingston, and Big E, people kept saying, oh, they're going to be a new nation of domination. Right. People have been saying that for 20 years now. And I mean, a a group like the Nation of Domination now could be pretty cool. Interesting. They'd be faces. But the problem is, would would they be, though? Yeah, that's the question. Protesters are bad guys on on WWE. I was going to say the crowds wouldn't allow them to be heels, but there's no crowds. Right. There's there's no crowds. I mean, I would be 100% behind them. Just being like, yeah, of course. I mean, you're being dicks about it, but your your point is valid. Would would AEW be able to pull it off better? You think they need more black male yeah, wrestlers? They have to yeah. hire uh, more black men. They, they yeah. have a they have a very very well diversified women's division, but their men's division not so much. They've hired a lot of Latin and Latinas, but just Scorpio I, Sky I, I, just yeah. isn't good enough. Yeah, I was gonna say Scorpio Sky. They haven't hired a lot of black men. Private party, sure. Those and, uh, black and Sunny Kiss. Oh yeah, yeah, Sunny, Sunny Kiss. Kiss as well. Right. Right. Yeah, they, they haven't done like a terrible job, but they haven't done a good job. No. Okay, so uh, this match, mostly uneventful, pretty slow. There's that one cool moment where Undertaker goes for what would later be called the old school, the tightrope walk, and then instead of jumping into the ring, he jumps out of the ring onto the yeah. nation. That was fun. Yeah, that was great. I, watching it, I was like, oh, did he do that on purpose? Or did they pull him down? I don't understand what happened. Oh, he did it on purpose because it literally looks like he just goes, oh, no, and falls because he doesn't <laughs> like get a full twist to turn it into a crossbody. Just, yeah, like, he just jumps kinda, into them. Uh, he like, looked like he looked like an Undertaker bad. jump, though. He looked he looked yeah. like a bat, you know. Yeah, but uh, the ang- like the camera angle was really bad when they showed the repeat or the gotcha. replay. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. It was on purpose. Yeah, they, this was less. I was a, not disappointed in this match, but I, I was expecting more. I because I, yeah. I, I felt Everyone like the was. two. I felt like the two of them, I was like, oh, this seems like another, like, you know, a, like two people who are really good at the big guy style. Like, I'm like, I could watch them just sort of trade blows because it's it works with their because ca- their characters are so good. And it was uh, it was kind of boring. Yeah, it was a match. And literally the the this match existed basically as a we need a main event for the tape review because the stuff we have planned for Undertaker isn't going to come to fruition for yeah. another month or two. Right. And and the reason Farouk really didn't win is because they had plans for the WWE WWF championship at the time. Like they knew sure. that Brett was gonna get it back and like all that. Yeah, they were setting Undertaker up for the Kane reveal, right? Yeah. Undertaker yeah. was getting ready to go into the Kane stuff. So like everybody had plans except for Farouk. But then I did happen to watch how Farouk's storyline progressed. Like, I got sucked back in, so I was just like, oh, that's right, two weeks after that was when they introduced the bigger, blacker nation. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. So I went back and watched all that stuff. So, yeah, we'll probably talk about this more in the premium episode, but Evan should know, they did make the nation all black after this, and then Savio Vega had his own Puerto Rican stable, Los Boricuas. And, and- Crush had a, 
white supremacist biker gang. Yes, they decided well, to have a podcast. Didn't it also include actual white supremacists? Yes, yes the Harris, the Harris brothers. Yes. The Harris brothers are Nazis, by the way, guys. Just yes. so yes. everyone listening is We didn't know that at the time. We should have. No, they no, were skinheads. No. Eightball and skull. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, uh, like, like, not like, like, not kayfabe, like real. Not like, no, they have, they have oh, SS tattoos. They ha- oh, yes. yeah, that's you'll yeah. see them yeah, you uh, can. at some point or another. They were, they were, you'll see them at some point. They were lower card guys in a lot of places for a long time. So Undertaker uh, wins this match with anyway. a kind of scary tombstone. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh man. Oh I yeah. Was that like... was the, probably the, one of the least well executed tombstones I've ever seen. It was a little frightening. I was yeah. like, I was like, Oh, are we watching this match because it's his last match and I'm <laughs> watching a man die. <laughs> oh, yeah. like, that, like... And then Paul bear wants him to do more damage. He ends up doing three more choke slams. My favorite bearer moment is like this one second where he, the ref is trying to get him to stop. And he like, raises his hand to like pimp slap the ref and gives him a look that was just amazing. Just like <laughs> very great expression. Uh, and then Ahmed Johnson comes out and gives Undertaker the Pearl River plunge, which that was the first time I had ever seen a Tiger driver was Ahmed Johnson doing it. And yeah. it was always fucking impressive and awesome. Great so finish. Th- I, I feel the need to continue to bang this drum that they wanted, that Vince wanted to go with Ahmed Johnson. He did. Who, but a person who he wanted to be the top guy, would he have come out after the main event, try and talk some sense into The Undertaker, and then when fail, when that fails, beat the crap out of The Undertaker. Who's the champion. Who's yeah. the world champion at the time, and then leave. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's so and disappointing. Ahmed- yeah, Ahmed Johnson is great, and Vince wanted to go with him, of course. You can tell just by looking at it. But I think I mentioned this in personal life conversation, uh, that what ended up happening to Ahmed Johnson was a combination of injuries and The Rock. Yeah, a little thing called think, the uh, Dwayne Johnson happened. Yeah. We also, uh, Doc, correct me if I'm wrong, I remember we watched a shoot interview with Ahmed Johnson years ago, and he yeah, yeah. said that he left for some, like, family issues. Yeah, he said he had to go and take care of, uh, um, I think, his sister or something. But oh, he said yeah, he yeah. never he never told the WWE. That's his story, and he's sticking to it. He's like, I didn't want to burden them with my problems. And it's like, but you got to tell your job why you're leaving. Yeah, man. It's like, yeah. that's that's especially when it's, you know, two or three years down the line, stuff might be okay. And he did eventually go to WCW to, at the, uh, the heavy request of uh, Booker T and Stevie Ray, despite the fact that by then he was out of shape and, and really was not an asset anymore. And it's, it's a real shame. But to I... Devin's point, um, The Rock did take over the nation. Yeah. <laughs> and that the Rock changed things. Took- Ahmed spot basically, and then became the biggest star that wrestling has ever produced. Uh, the little a little thing called Die Rocky Die happened, yeah. and right. also the Rock first black WWE champion, WWF right, champion. Uh, no man other than the Rock held that belt until last year. Right when about that. Had it, uh, which is fucking crazy. Yeah, um, we all we watched that match, right? Yes, that's the match yes, we, we did. Yeah, we yeah, did. it was fucking it was a great amazing. match. Yeah. I can't believe The Rock murdered Ahmed Johnson, and we're breaking that news on this podcast right now. If it weren't for The Rock being a cold-blooded killer. Everyone on this podcast has murdered someone at this point, except me. I if, never, what? 
What did you hear? What do you know? You, no, 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 I meant the regulars. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, well, in that case, I don't know what you're also, talking about. Also, I mean, by all of us, I mean Evan. Uh, we know what you well, did if, to Dungeon Master. If, if you, listeners, if, if you, this has been Contesting Wrestling, <laughs> and if you'd like to learn about the people that I've murdered. No, oh, do we have any final thoughts before I wrap this up and pitch the Patreon tier, the new R Patreon tier where I murder guys? Grave, you son of a bitch. Uh, I'll say, I know we're I know we're running a bit long. I'll, I'll give a few final thoughts. Uh, Farouk was an incredible athlete before he was in wrestling, and when he was in wrestling, um, every time you hear an interview with him, he's he's grateful for all the opportunities he got. And if you ask him, uh, if you ask him if he should have won the title a bunch more times, all he kind of does is count his money at you, and, yeah. uh, which which he made a lot of in the Attitude Era and beyond as a, as a big act. And now and, he's uh, got the best job great. in wrestling. Yep. Oh yeah, he shows up, says one word. And everybody loves him. Yep. My final thought is, damn. <laughs> Someone had to say it. I'm glad it was uh, you, Devin. To say it. Yeah. Now learn to count. I, I know how to count at least up to three. Fair enough. Do you? Are, well, no, I think I've seen countouts in XSW. I've counted up anyway. to almost ten. I don't think I've ever actually ended a match based on a countout. You would. Uh, do you have anything to plug? Me personally, yeah. No. <laughs> um, wear wear a damn mask so I can like live yeah. again. That'd be great. And uh, the old standby: stay out of the ocean. Um, Paw Patrol are narc, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. All right, okay. Hobart. Oh, well, yeah, what's your what's your? Uh, hey, 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 let's not go there. Uh, well, what do you want people to follow you on on Twitter? Oh, yeah, I suppose you could. It, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. Uh, Twitter and Instagram is the same. It's Devin T. Simmons, D-E-V-I-N-T-S-I-M-M-O-N-S on it. So, yeah, yeah, no, you, no relation to Ron. Fine. Yeah, of course, yes, no relation to this Ron Simmons, as I mentioned my older brother. <laughs> also Ron Simmons. Um, and yeah, and once again, uh, I really have to double down on... Um, I'll say this is the person least involved with XSW out of every out of anybody here. I have nothing to. Gain I have no involvement with XSW. Success. You, you ever, no, what are you talking about? Uh, you go. Yeah. Sure. I, you, uh, yeah ben sure. doesn't know what XSW is. Yeah. He you today. sound a lot like the ultimate warrior, but <laughs> hey, uh, as I have as much relation as you do to any Ron Simmons. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, what um, were you saying? But it's great. It's great, and you should check it out, and especially if you're somebody who still is not a big fan of uh, normal wrestling. It's, uh, it's, it's awesome. It is, it is a great, especially if you are a comedy fan, and there's like a dearth of great sketch comedy out there a lot of the times, and there's some stuff, and it's like it's, it's a great, it's a cool blend of, of things, I, and uh, yeah. I've enjoyed all the XSW content I've seen. You can find several XSW shows on uh, IWTV, IWTV.live, and there's an XSW YouTube channel that has a couple of more XSW shows on it, so look for that. This has been Contesting Wrestling. Follow us on Twitter, at ContestingW. Let us know how you feel about things or whatever isn't a thing. Things that aren't covered by the word things, so any of those, that should cover everything, those two concepts. And send all complaints to at Scribe Ben. Yeah, yeah. Or send even if you they're not complaints you really have, just make stuff up and you can just send it to send it to them and that's fine. That if you enjoy this, that's great. That's what we're trying to do here. 
and you should enjoy it more and harder at patreon.com slash contesting wrestling for five dollars a month and you get bonus episodes and one day we'll have more stuff than just bonus episodes but we're we're working towards that but for now you get a bonus episode every week and that's you know it's pretty good i think you know i'm biased obviously but it doesn't matter this has been contesting wrestling thank you we love you bye and see